0: I'm here with Stephen Boyer, Stephen, welcome. You are the department manager at Mobility Technologies for a lot of different technologies from calibration, certification, development, vehicle development. Tell me a little bit about it, Correct.
1: Yeah, so our our group more or less uh, handles everything in the physical world, Uh, whether that's um, engine, um, development, could be um, e-motor development, battery development, um, calibration of uh, engine, traditional powertrains, transmissions, um, electrification, um, hybrids, um, BEVs, uh, even uh, ADAS or assisted uh, driving uh, features. We do certification with the regulatory bodies, and uh, and the testing that's required for that we can lead that as well and then we also have our vehicle team which looks at ride drivability uh, from a benchmarking perspective but we also do uh, vehicle builds which uh, are in many cases pulling out the traditional powertrain uh, and, uh, and converting it to a battery electric vehicle or converting it over to a um, a fuel cell electric vehicle. Okay,
0: okay. So very diverse. But essentially, you're driving the world here. It's not the software yeah. guy that always claimed they do. Sorry, <laughs> software guys.
1: It's you. You're,
0: you're, you have the physical stuff, right? The stuff that, that moves. That's correct, yeah. Yes. Ultimately,
1: okay. all of that has to come into the physical world to move physical things, right? Yeah. And so um, what's interesting about the group is we have to know a lot about the mechanical side of, of the vehicle or engine or powertrain, um, but in addition, we also have to know a fair amount about the software, right? Because uh, with uh, uh, specifically with the calibration piece, um, you know, you have to understand how the software is controlling the physical world.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, how close then is your relationship with our software group under Fessel, who mm-hmm. was here? previously as well, it's just like a daily interaction is just they give me requirements or we give them requirements and we deal that way. How, how important is it that we're in the same building, that we're in the same company, that this capability is within the yeah. same four walls, quote-unquote?
1: Yeah, it re- really depends on uh, the type of program that we're working on. So in some cases, we have uh, projects where we're writing the software uh, that's going into a vehicle conversion um, and we're calibrating that as well and so in those cases we're on a daily basis complete um, integration of the teams and there's a lot of interaction. There are some other projects where our customers are providing the software um, or the controller and, uh, and we're doing. Um, the calibration piece, let's say, but um, all of the software is is provided by the customer. So we really have a lot of flexibility. Um, Sometimes it's um, our software group that we're working with directly. Sometimes it's our customer software group. Uh, It really just kind of depends. Okay.
0: So I think one area that I feel like maybe many people don't think about it being relevant in the future, certification. Mm-hmm. I think many people probably know certification is very critical today for ICE or, or diesel engines, so gasoline or diesel mm-hmm. engines, uh, from an emissions point of view, et cetera. But what about from a, from an EV? I mean, is this like certification is not important anymore going forward. The regulatory body says, hey, it's an EV, you're super clean, don't worry about it. Where do you see this?
1: Yeah, there's there's certainly still certification that has to be done. Um, and and we have helped several of our customers uh, with those certification requirements, but it is simplified in comparison to uh, to a, a conventional powertrain. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, I guess uh, you know we can't assume that uh, that the traditional powertrains are going away because they're they'll be here for quite a long time, and uh, we have. You know, in twenty twenty five we have the Sulev thirty uh, calibrations uh, or certifications levels rather they have to be calibrated and we have to meet those requirements. and of course, I imagine that those will get even more strict as we go forward. Mm-hmm. and uh, so even though Bevs are the hot topic and they they certainly have um, we have a lot of work to do for developing those vehicles, um, those still have to be certified. But we also have our traditional powertrains, which also have to be certified and actually have to get better over time. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, it's quite an interesting time right now because we have really uh, two paths, and both of them are, are advancing state of the art <laughs> mm-hmm. as we move forward and transition uh, from one predominantly one or entirely one, let's say, to uh, more prominence in the electrified uh, space. Mm-hmm.
0: So you've been in the industry for a long time. I've worked for many years in ICE development, internal combustion engine development. So going back to the certification, maybe even calibration related thing, but certainly certification, Europe now is starting to come out and will have regulations in place that looks at the entire life cycle of an EV, or of an EV battery at least, right? How from a greenhouse gas or emissions point Mm -hmm. of view, was this battery developed with all its components? How was it charged with what energy was used to create the cells to charge it? Where is the vehicle going to be used? So how is that power that is necessary to constantly charge it uh, affecting the overall, overall um, carbon neutrality or carbon footprint? Mm-hmm. And then also looks into or provides regulations that relates to recycling. That's in Europe. You've been in IC engines where a lot of things came out of Europe and maybe made it over here or mm-hmm. was adapted or new things came here and went to Europe and was adopted there uh, and maybe China or Asia as well. What do you see with batteries? Yeah. with a, EVs in general, I guess. It doesn't have to yeah. be batteries, but with EV yeah. vehicles, right?
1: I, I think it's the logical next step that that has to be looked at. Um, I think uh, one of the more recent studies that i've seen is that uh, a typical battery electric vehicle when you buy it is three years behind uh the uh the conventional powertrain in terms of co2 production because it it does create so much uh co2 in the supply chain to get the Mm -hmm. uh to get the ev just built um and then beyond that right we go into where are you generating the electricity What's that made from? Um, you know, obviously a very significant amount of uh, electricity is still made from coal um, in the United States. And then on top of that, you know, there's there's uh, natural gas, and of course, um, wind and solar are very small at the mm-hmm. moment contributors. So, you know, this push to go from a conventional uh, fossil fuel p- based powertrain over to an electric powertrain, really doesn't make any sense currently, right? But it's setting the stage that it only makes sense if you look at the upstream effects uh, of creating a a battery electric vehicle, and then also the downstream effects of, you know, you need to uh, have it uh, powered by either wind, solar, or or nuclear. Otherwise, there's really no CO2 benefit. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if they move that way. You're saying
0: the US would adopt a certain regulatory type thing yeah. as it relates to EVs, similar I, to Europe?
1: I think that's the only
0: way that it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, okay. Calibration, again, for me, I've worked with internal combustion engines for many, many years as well, and always was clear yeah, you got to calibrate it, you got to put it all together in the complete system with your transmission and all that. So, again, overall, just vehicle calibration. When it comes to now to an EV, is there still calibration as well? Because I think in some cases people think, well, no, you got an e-motor, off you right, go, right. it runs right." Yeah. Well, what's the big deal? Right? It's everything else yeah. is just software. It's just
1: yeah. Certainly, there are fewer variables, and uh, and that um, helps simplify the calibrations. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the behavior of the battery and the electric motor are different when they're cold versus hot. Um, you have different settings for um, for regenerative braking. Um, you know, you have different safety concerns. You know, and all of these things need to be considered. Mm-hmm.
0: So, with with internal combustion engines, the, the calibration is heavily focused, or was heavily focused, on emissions-related topics mm-hmm. and drivability as well. Is it then for EVs going forward? As you said before, it's it's simpler. It's not as complex. It's still complex. But all, relatively speaking, simpler than ICE calibration. But is the BEF then more focused on drivability, the the dried comfort and and, and those things that are much more affecting each individual customer versus the traditional calibration, which, again, with a heavy focus on emissions, greenhouse gas and those Mm. things?
1: Yeah, certainly there it's um, it's a little bit probably less um, focused on noise and vibration and and harshness, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But certainly there's there's a drivability aspect to it. NVH is still an issue. In some ways, uh, it becomes more difficult because you don't have the sound of the engine to kind of, if you will, uh, mask or cover some of the other noises that you have in the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know along with evs uh you know we're also advancing the uh adas um and so then that becomes a, a much more complicated um calibration as well and and of course um you know have you, you have different sensors and uh things that you know we need to um tie into the network and they all have their limitations and uh making sure that we keep the uh occupants and the and uh so on safe
0: mhm mhm When when you're talking about future vehicles, your team does a lot of prototype vehicles for customers where new technology is integrated into what you mentioned earlier, an existing vehicle, oftentimes maybe propulsion related, but could be all sorts of other components as well. What is the one thing that you feel oftentimes customers forget about when they do or when they wanted to do a prototype vehicle? Is it is the it challenge of the communications network? Is it a challenge of trying to squeeze some component into an existing vehicle and having to make all sorts of new mounting and structural mm-hmm. changes? Is it the expectancy that when this vehicle is done, it, it's going to drive like it's a production vehicle and has gone through the design, validation, and testing over a year and a half or two and a half years, even though we've only worked on it for eight months. What is it in your experience that, that customers sometimes forget on um, the challenges that we're faced with developing that technology or, or prototype vehicle?
1: Yeah, so that's a, that's a very good question. Um, a lot of times we'll find that the customers know the big things that have to change, right? There's a cross member on the frame that has to be removed and it has to be replaced with something. Um, probably the largest thing that we see is just not an appreciation for the complexity of even a, a BEV or a, uh, or a fuel cell uh, vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say that, um, you know, you, you think, okay, the battery has to go here. I have to remove this uh, uh, mounting frame piece or I have to make, the cut, make this cut and weld of some other uh, components that's identified up front. What maybe be not identified is there are still cooling circuits that still have to be uh, handled. There are large diameter wires, which don't bend very easily. They have to be accommodated. Um, and so just all of these little integration things, and then you have to have mounting supports for all of these parts, right? And so then there's a significant amount of effort to take a vehicle that's designed for an engine transmission, drive shaft, and a, and a, uh, uh, differential, right. To take all that out and put a really big e-motor in the back, uh, maybe one in the front and a big battery in a spot that was not intended for a battery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that level of complexity, um, isn't always seen up front. They see it after the vehicle's built or partially built, uh, about the complexity that they have to, we have to deal with the, um, the fuel cell electric vehicles are even you know a step further because the there is a lot of uh, complexity with uh, mounting the, the the hydrogen fuel cells um, and then routing those at a very high pressure uh-huh. um, to the uh, to the fuel cell um, and then uh, the cooling systems and on on those as well so it's I would say all of that leads to a compression in uh, timing that sometimes becomes very difficult to achieve.
0: Okay. okay. When I look at different technologies and technologies, how, it, how they have progressed over the years, what is the most difficult part of developing a vehicle or designing a vehicle prototype or for production that you now more than ever rely on simulation technologies?
1: Yeah, so um, largely for the programs that we work on, the simulation. Um, you know, if we're doing a conversion for a for a BEV or a fuel cell, is uh, uh, making sure that we size heat exchangers right, we have the right flow through the cooling lines, um, and uh, and make sure we keep the batteries cool. Of course, those are those are critical. Um, you know. Uh, the other the other piece to that is that uh, these battery electric vehicles are significantly heavier than uh, a traditional powertrain uh-huh. um, so then we have um, we have to uh, do some work with suspension systems and sometimes it's relatively straightforward and simple if it's a very easy demonstrator um, on the other hand if the customers are looking to maintain the same uh, ride and drive Uh, qualities um, then we have to do more more work on on that and simulation tools certainly help us out okay calibration
0: tell me a little bit about calibration and use of simulation tools we hear the term virtual calibration quite often Uh, we have some tools that we use for virtual calibration Mm -hmm. how really how wildly wildly not wildly how widely deployed are those tools and how, how much does that give you? Does it give you 10% and then 90% you still a person has to do? Or can it get you to 90% or is it somewhere in between?
1: Yeah, so most of the calibration that we do for our development vehicles, we don't leverage that uh, so much. Um, you know, a lot of our advanced calibration stuff is really more around the traditional or uh, conventional uh, powertrains. Uh-huh. Um, so for those
0: programs there, what we do, where yeah. we're asked by, a, by an OEM, hey, help me with the calibration, with your expertise, yeah. with your tools. How much can we leverage there, our virtual environment? A-
1: absolutely. Those virtual uh, tools can be used to, to cover a significant portion of the operating map. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, then we still ha- need to go in and, and uh, uh, make refinements to a lot of our calibrations you know, based on drivability and and uh, and uh, emissions testing and so mm-hmm. on, but but it does simplify and reduce the amount of time that we need to spend in a, in a test cell, and of course, test cells are, are very expensive, and so. Okay. Okay. Good,
0: <laughs> Steve. When it comes to calibration, I oftentimes hear virtual calibration. And I know it's not going to be whatever 90% can be done in the virtual world, press a button, it flashes that calibration file, and then you do a few tweakings and off you go. But if you use some of our tools that we have that are specifically suited for virtual calibration, for a traditional iSension, for example, how much do you think can be done in the virtual space before then engineering capabilities and other tools will take Mm -hmm. over again? Is it? 10%? 10%? Is it 90%? Is it somewhere in between? What, what's your guess here?
1: Yeah. So it's a very difficult question to answer because of the um, the wide range of complexities, you know, between diesel powertrains and gasoline and automatic transmissions versus AMTs and, and mm-hmm. those types of things. But uh, generally, I think maybe 30, 40% uh, could be done upfront with the Virtual test bed, mm-hmm. um, and then that gives us a, a basis. And of course, you know, that's a signi- pretty significant savings with uh, full emissions test cell based work. Sure. And um, so, and you see that
0: 30 to 40 percent starting to creep into 50 and, and above as, as technology and, and, and models and, and fidelity and all that stuff increases, or do you see? there is a certain limitation at some point.
1: There is absolutely a limitation um, that, uh, you know, we, you know, because we're using a combustion model to support that as a, and um, it's not a uh, uh, live combustion. And there are things that happen in the, in the physical world that, uh, and phenomena that we have to, um, that we discover, have to learn, and have to mm-hmm. manage, right? So it'll never get to 100%, but it certainly can um, can reduce the cost of, of uh, the full development effort.
0: Okay. Last question, Steve. If you had three items that you see in the technologies that you're responsible for at Mobility Technologies Inc at AVL here, what would they be? What are the three big technology changes that you see happening in the next five years, let's say, technologies you're responsible for.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that uh, trying to think, you know, outside of the, the the normal answer of, yeah, battery electric vehicles are going to... Yeah, that's be, sort of the standard. I mean, that's you can a, go down, right? Assumed. There's more simulation. Yep.
0: There's more virtual calibration, as we just talked about. Yeah. Just, it's interesting sometimes to see the different perspectives. You're in the middle of this stuff, right? You have your hands yeah. in daily meetings and daily with your team... Uh, Different things. What do you see we're, we're going to be at in, in five years? That you say, "Wow, this is really one of my top three cool things that are that are changing slowly yeah. but surely." Right?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say that uh, um, c- calibration for conventional powertrains and uh, hybrid electrics mm-hmm. will continue to be big, probably longer than most expect. Mm-hmm. Um, even once we do come out with a significant number of Bev offerings and that increases every year um, we have to get market acceptance for that in the meantime uh, we have to continue to produce vehicles that are uh, meet um, requirements for emissions um, uh-huh. and and keep the automakers in business and uh, and with that you know most of the automakers are are working feverishly on the on the electrification side um and and to some extent the conventional powertrains are are a um our distraction if you uh-huh. will yeah and and so you know we can help alleviate that load we have uh with our skilled uh, uh calibrators uh-huh. so i think that's one piece um, the other piece, I think, is uh, ADAS will continue to grow uh-huh. Uh-huh. and become more sophisticated. Um, and we can help out on that as well. Uh, we've, we've conducted major programs uh, in the U.S. as well as, of course, in, in, in Europe. And we leverage that learning worldwide. Um, so um, the ADAS calibration and, and the software development is, is uh, going to continu- continue to grow. hmm uh-huh. And then I think the the third one is um, um, I think will become big. Uh, There's not a lot of talk about it at the moment, but I think as as we start to see some of the conventional powertrains be extended into the future, um, I think there will be some focus on how to make those cheaper as we we move forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, So that um, at least when they do sell them, that they become more profitable with those. And uh, there's a lot of in order to change hardware to new manufacturing processes, let's say, um, or redesign to have fewer components, um, a lot of that has to be tested and developed and, and sure. make sure that the you don't have an adverse effect on durability. Mm-hmm. So I think those those areas, uh, I think, are going to be big in, mm-hmm. in our group. I
0: would say, especially on your last point, right? I mean, IC engine development is going on for... Whatever, over a hundred years,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I mean, when I sometimes look at the cost for an engine, I'm blown away how inexpensive it is, relatively speaking, yeah. to the complexity of it. So now, and you're saying is that you think there can be even more cost being taken out with with given its its due time that you say right now is a little bit pushed to the side, but may come back again in, in, in the near future as, uh, as that becomes necessary. So that's an interesting point.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Steve, for your time. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Thanks for listening to Reimagine Mobility Podcast. If you like this
0: episode, please subscribe and tell a friend.